Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Hotbed. Um, you're listening to our podcast. I'm Anarchy Somerville <laughs> and I'm Lisa Williams. And we are the Hotbed Collective. We're a gang of merry maidens who are hellbent on making the world a better place, one orgasm at a time. Now, we started this podcast because of two reasons. Um, one, we've discovered there's a massive orgasm gap between men and women. 30%. 30%? It's too large. And uh, the other one is that we thought there was a lot of talk going on about kind of extreme sex. Or, you know, obviously you can access porn online. You can have a look at all kinds of permutations of sex. But what about just the everyday having a quick shag under the duvet on a Sunday morning with a crumpet stuck to your chin? There's none of that kind of sex. So that's what we've formed the collective for to talk about that and hopefully you'll join us every week and listen and have fun and join in thanks this is series four episode two only an actual movie star because we've only got an actual movie star in the house haven't we anarchy and i'm so jealous that you got to meet her and her is rose mcgowan rose mcgowan she of grindhouse fame charmed fame scream Fame. Ex-Marilyn Manson girlfriend. Fame. Fame. <laughs> um, and, of course, huge, um, hugely in the press because of the whole Me Too, Harvey Weinstein monster movement. Movement. That's right. Now, we, we like to aim quite high on the Hotbed podcast. And we, why not? We put out interview requests for lots of people. And let's do a little bit of manifesting now because we still want to have Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I still want to have Sharon Horgan. Sharon Hogan, please come on our podcast. We still want Lily Allen. I'm doing, you can't see this, but I'm doing a kind of manifesting move with my arms. I really want to believe that manifesting can work. And it's funny because at the bottom of the bed, I have a vision board, which Mm. someone told me is good because you wake up in the morning and you look at it. Mm. Um, And then when I looked at it closely, because I did it just after the baby was born, it's all pictures of women in active like where running without children (laughs) so I thought why have I set myself this kind of vision of me childless but doing a lot of exercise and there's a lot of lot of me outside and long hair you'll get there you'll get there who else are we manifesting for I'm manifesting for Ruby Wax Janet Street Porter Candice Brathwaite and Papa Um, B I would like a what's is it Kristen Wig or is it Kristen Wig Kristen Wig Bridesmaids Lady, Tina Fey. Mm, should we get Kristen's name right before we manifest? Maybe maybe we should do. I mean, Oprah Winfrey would be a good one. We love Oprah. Um, so we manifest a lot. And um, During this manifesting session, I just emailed Rose McGowan's publicist because I thought, well, why not? And she replied. She only just replied two days before she was available for an interview. I know. And it was that was kismet, really. Mm-hmm. So Rose was... In the country. She is kind of semi-based in the UK now, which is pretty incredible. Welcome to lunch. She's based in London for half the time, not officially, but she is here a lot. And she has a book called Brave, which has just come out in paperback. If you ever think you're having a bad day, read Rose McGowan's book, Brave, because that woman has seen and been through a lot. She was raised in a cult. Did you know that? Mm. 
raised in a cult in Italy. She didn't look in a mirror till she was 10. She didn't know she was a girl until she was 10 because mm. they raised her with no ego. There was all kind of dodgy stuff happening in this cult, as you can probably imagine. They escaped. She moved to America. Her mom had a good-for-nothing boyfriend. Then she got into an abusive relationship. And it just goes on and on and on. Mm. But what kind of strike comes through is that she's got such a fierce personality. She's so passionate. Obviously, an amazing actress, which I mm. think is probably informed by, you know, this this fierce way of growing up and having to protect herself. She can really imagine what it's like for other people and really get into a role. Um, and she talks about Hollywood and man, she is disillusioned mm. with the silver screen. She is really, she compares it to a cult mm. and a cult which women are used as, you know, the currency. And she was part of that, an unwilling part of that. And she's really, well, I ask her and you'll hear this. She's not angry anymore, but she, I feel like she wrote the book and sat down and went Bleh, onto the page. Mm. And it's really an amazing read. So I recommend that. That's brave. And she was on, actually, she made a documentary series as well about yes. the tour and the sort of promotion of that book. And one of the things that I found quite sort of really took me aback was that loads of people, like when she was, I think she goes and does a book talk in a, in a big bookstore in the States and people are quite combative and really attack her. It's like, yeah. it's because she's on this platform. They were kind of basically, they felt like they were throwing more aggression mm -hmm. and more critique her way. And I sort of thought in a lot of ways, it's hard because she's stood up for something. Mm. She's quite vulnerable. You can see her vulnerability in the film. Mm. Mm. Even though she's strong, she she breaks quite easily because of mm. what's happened to her. Mm. Um, and yet people seem to think it's perfectly okay to just throw a load of, you know, shit in her direction. Yeah, because who wants to criticise Hollywood? Who wants to, t she's turned her back on it. And mm. who would turn their back on Hollywood? You know, we're raised to think this is our dream you know, a dream state of being is to be a movie star on the red carpet. She mm. bloody hated the red carpet as you're here. Mm. Now, it's interesting because we started the Hotbed podcast around about the time that Me Too was really gaining traction. And I remember you said, you know, you said to me a lot, I don't know whether we should be covering this or not, mm. didn't you? I just think it's always difficult. And we've had that actually when we've been writing and, and talking about content generally. Um, once you go into kind of harassment and abuse and those kind of areas, mm. And I think most women have been through different levels or degrees of that. But I always feel that I'm not fully qualified to wade in there. Mm. And it's, it's it's quite a morass because what offends one person um, might not be offensive to me. And because my, I suppose, because my, my thing is often to make light of things and to joke mm. about stuff. And it's actually something you can't really joke about. Mm. It's not funny. Mm. And actually, if it is going to be funny, it's got to be the person that it's happened to mm. um, that makes that kind of quip. Um, but it's funny because I think it, when we were talking about it, I was going out to lunch, I think, once, Sunday lunch with a group of fairly kind of normal parents. And I was just amazed that as people kept drinking, um, wine and stuff and you know it was a nice day a couple of the men really waded in there just sort of saying do you know what this bloody me too thing it's ridiculous it's got to you know abnormal proportions I don't know what to do at work anymore if I ask someone mm. for a drink are they going to think that I'm trying to come on to them you know it's impossible and women need to kind of stop it now there's clear boundaries in terms of what you can and can't do but the example this dad was using was saying can I ask one of my colleagues for a drink after work um or is that going to be something that's seen as being, you know, predatory and disgusting? And I said, well, you know, it depends what your motivation is and how you are. You should be able to go for a drink with somebody and it's fine. Yeah, and it depends on power structures. So mm. me and my partner met at work and we were very much on the same level slash I may have been slightly more senior than him. Mm. He might disagree with that. 
<laughs> we were probably equal but I was there before him and we got together but it was in a sort of very natural way it happened out of work when we were socializing we were basically the same pay grade the same mm. age I wasn't fearful of him I didn't feel as if if he propositioned me by the way I also invited him on a date so I'm now seeing and he in- could have said no to be fair you think I'm now the predatory I'm one. seeing you as indecent <laughs> proposal with Demi Moore and yeah. seeing that character he I, I mean you'll have to I can't tell his story but um, he could have said no and he wouldn't have had any fear of me sacking him, reporting him, um, maybe shaming him, you know, and all of these things are what plays a part of it. It's, you know, is this sexual or romantic proposition? Has it got any impact on how that other person might be feeling sort of personally and professionally? So anyway, this is Rose. She was wonderful, cropped hair, very sweet, um, very unassuming. She came and did our podcast. She also did um, Sentimental Garbage, a podcast about chiclet. And so we were really happy to have her in the studio, in bed with us. And here is what she had to say. Rose McGowan, we have an actual, actual film star right here <laughs> on the hotbed. Can you believe it? Nice to meet you, Rose. So nice to meet you. I'm glad to be in bed with you. Absolutely. It's the hottest bed I, around. I, I realized that sounded weirder than uh, I actually intended, but that's okay. Well, we can have a fantasy bed that's like like a giant bed and we can occupy very far ends of it. Maybe. Listen, listeners at home, just imagine we're in a kind of pink chiffon double poster bed, would it be? Double poster, maybe floating in the air. I like the sound of that. A little bit like Princess in the Pea. with lots, clouds. Lots of different mattresses. Yeah. It's quite comfy. I'm, I'm comfortable. S- I'm such a Princess in the Pea person too. I can feel the tiniest thing. <laughs> it's the most annoying. Are you a sort of hard mattress or a soft mattress? You know what I think they should make a mattress? I'm somewhere, I think, in the middle. But I feel like for women with breasts, they should make a mattress that like, you can lay on your stomach and mm. have holes for your boobs. A bit like the massage table with the hole cut out for your face. face. But for your chest. Yes, Because okay. I like sleeping on my stomach, but also I don't want my chest to go through my back. There are some mattress makers listening. I think we count them among our demographics. So <laughs> who knows? In who a year knows? or two. So we're so happy to talk to you because we talk about sex on screen a lot. And we talk about what needs to change a lot. And we talk about the male gaze a lot. And so, I mean, you are the perfect person to talk about this. Rose, as I've just explained to listeners, has written a wonderful book called Brave, which lots of you may have already read or read about. And I mean, it takes down Hollywood. It takes down the male gaze, let's say. Would you say that's accurate? I would say that is accurate. I think it, um, I know it definitely... I think there's just a lot that goes to the male gaze in Hollywood that people don't think of. They think when you hear male gaze, it sounds like it's one male instead of a whole Mm. giant. And the women, too, that support it. Mm. You know, they're very much involved in the male gaze as well. So how would you describe the male gaze? Because when we try and talk about it in academic theory, it can get quite confusing. So do you have a sort of short shortcut to your understanding of it? Sure. And my understanding of it is really that it's almost as if you're outside of your own body looking at yourself with a, a man's eyes, mm. you know, and or a cliched man's eyes, I should say. And that's something that I think is really detrimental and harms girls and women and, and, and boys and men mm-hmm. and everybody, you know. Just changes the way we look at the world completely. It is. In my book, I talk about, you know, how the mirror Hollywood gives you to look into from your earliest age that you can remember – you know, it's a pretty messed up mirror. And 
it's one of those things where I know a lot of the people that are making those mirrors for you, and, and I really don't think they should be in your head. And in some ways, it can be enjoyable. I mean, the movie Some Like It Hot with Marilyn Monroe, I mean, there's the classic male gaze scene there where she's jello on springs, walking down the road, the bottom's wiggling, she's getting on a train, the boys are looking, the audience is looking. But I think... Billy Wilder did that in such a way that's the director and writer with I.L. Diamond of that film. I think they did it. It's 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 a super progressive movie on gender politics, mm. actually. And also, I think, one of the most flawless comedies of all time. And it, it really, it, what was so great is that the Tony Curtis character who's wooing Marilyn Monroe, at one point, for those of you who haven't seen it, they have to dress up um, as women uh, to the male character so they can get a job with an all-women's band, and they're on the run from the mob, and they see Sugar Kane, who's Marilyn Monroe, and then, yes, Cello on Springs. And and they it's, it's really, I think it's really a progressive film, and that's where you can have the male gaze. It's not always bad. It's okay mm. to have a male perspective on something. It's that when it's seedy and kind of, I don't know how to describe it other than that icky feeling, Hmm. you know, that that feeling that something's not quite right, but you're not sure what it is. I think of it as the feeling of being looked up and down wherever I go, even if I'm not in a situation where I'm inviting that, you know, um, because that's how we're used to seeing women. Well, that it's okay. This Mm. is what you're here for. Exactly. It's window dressing and that we can always pick on a woman for what she looks like. I write about in my book, um, Entertainment Tonight, um, and, how, and, and all the other TV cameras that would be on the red carpet after you get done with all the flash photography, which is its own nightmare, mm. you head to where they have you know the moving cameras and you go there and they would pan you up and down and make you turn around for them. And I talk about in my book also how you know, the photographers are always like, over the shoulder, over the shoulder, so they can get the side of your face and your ass at the same time. And I was on a, a red carpet when Entertainment Tonight did the panning up and down thing, and mm-hmm. they said, Kate Blanchett said she hates it when we do that. What do you think, Rose? And I said, I think you're a visual rapist. So I don't think that aired. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it must be so difficult inside that machine Ugh. because you obviously want the movies to do well. And I remember I used to be a showbiz reporter on the red carpet in the press pen asking questions and was for a short spell. And I remember Julia Roberts was promoting a movie and she just decided to wear a black trouser suit. That's just what she wanted to wear. And the photographers were absolutely livid because they had nothing. They were like, this photo is not going to sell. This movie's not going to do well. The picture didn't make many papers the next day. So they, they, they were right. They were absolutely right. And actually, it's that, that image of someone in a really sparkling, bright dress, very revealing, that will guarantee press inches the next day. I felt like I was doing drag as a woman every day, and especially on the red carpet. That was the worst. I would almost throw up before I would go on, and my leg would shake so fiercely underneath the dress Mm. that, you know, I had to steady my hands. And then sometimes it looked like I'm laughing, but it was really like a a kind of a hysterical sound would come out of my mouth, and I would cover it with a smile. Mm. Because they're all, I don't know if they do this in Europe as much, but in America they scream at you. Mm. <sighs> over here mm. and and when aggression is coming towards your body and you're standing there like an idiot in this stupid evening gown and these dumb high heels no offense to the evening gown wearers out there in the world uh, and but normally if someone's screaming at you let alone a hundred men uh, it's primarily men um, 
you either yell back or you run away. You don't mm-hmm. just absorb it with your stupid hand on your hip, cocked out, like, hi, Mr. Man. And that's how all those photos had to go. Mm. You also talk in your book about the audition process being very invasive and intrusive. Um, there's a British actress and writer called Sarah Soleimani, and she's written a brilliant piece on this as well, where she basically says, as, a, as an actress, particularly when you're starting out, you can be called anywhere at all. Yeah. You don't know whether it's safe. You no. don't know who's going to be there. And yet, if you want a job, apparently that's what you have to do. And if they tell you you need to take your clothes off or kiss someone or whatever, well, where's the line between what's actually required and what's then pushing the into first, abuse? The first audition I ever had uh, to test our chemistry, and I was discovered, so I was never trying to be an actor. Mm. Not that that gives it any right to do bad things or degrade you, but... I really was a neophyte. I had no clue what was going on. Uh, I was just doing it for rent money. But they tested my chemistry with the male actor, and he was laying flat on his back, and they laid me flat on top of him, like chest to chest. And he had an erection, which is not his problem, but I just snapped out of my body and floated up to the ceiling, and I guess they thought we had chemistry since I got the part. Mm. But I remember thinking, I was not anticipating laying on an erection today. No, it's not what most people expect when they go into work. Or a job interview. A job interview. Right. Precisely. Lay on an erection. It's, it's, and that, it just, and, and that's how it gets normalized. And I always say what goes on behind the scenes in Hollywood is what happens on screen is what happens in the world. So people think Hollywood is this isolated territory that's just weird and stays to itself, but it doesn't. It's America's number one export. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we were saying about going to strange places to audition and not knowing if that place would be safe and who would be there, we could say every day for a cleaner, for example. Yeah. You know, they every day go into people's houses. They don't know who's going to be there. Yeah, it's really scary. There's a lot of, um, and that's, you know, primarily women in that job. And you don't know. It's not, yeah, that's very interesting, the parallel between a housekeeper and, and, uh, and an actor who has to, or an actress who has to, it was so many hotels, Hmm. so many hotels, because the person staying there, they have a living room and Hmm. that's where you would meet them and they would have the camera set up in there. And it's, it's, it's mind bending how bizarre and not okay it is, but how okay it is when you're there just because this is how we've always done it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted to kind of crack the illusion. Um, just because we've always done it this way doesn't mean we have to do it that way. You talk about being raised in Italy and being raised with a really appreciation of art. And I presume that extends to cinema. And I hope that your experience hasn't, it doesn't sound as if it's diminished your love of it as an art form. So presumably you want... It has in some ways. Has it? Not classic film. Although I don't like to imagine what happened to those people back then. Um, It was probably quite horrific. Shirley Temple once said uh, when she was 16 she was taken to um, the studio head's office and uh, it was Daryl Zanuck at 20th Century Fox, a studio she built and, you know, had massive territory of of buildings and this. And it was like built off her work as a child. And she'd always, she'd been warned, unlike me, Shirley got warned, if he kicks off his shoes under the table, run. And he kicked off his shoes. It's those things. What would I like to see Mm -hmm. that's different? I mean, on a bad day, I'd say burn it down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the the very easy answer to that is a 50-50 split in directors 
And the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, is around 95, 96% male. Mm. And that statistic hasn't changed since 1946. So it's, and that's primarily white male. Mm-hmm. So you're getting this really narrow, narrow, narrow view of your world. I would like to see that change. I suppose our theory is that if you change what's at the top, it affects everything, you know, yes. from, from the quality of the film. And strangely, the... Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. University of California, I think, do some research into diversity in cinema, and they have found that the more diversity there is in terms of the not more just money you make. Yes, exactly. So you that know, just films- seems logical. I know. Like the world. Like, I don't know. I walk outside, I see people, and I'm like, yeah, it should look like this. It's just insane that it doesn't. It's literally insane and that they have constant, you know, there's this group called Women in Film, and they have all these luncheons where they just cite statistics. I'm like, ladies, what are you doing? If you haven't achieved any advancement over your methods are not working, I suggest Mm. you try something else. Mm. And so for me – I've heard from, um, I've had some actresses come up to me, unknowns, just, you know, trying to make it. And they see they feel so much safer on set now. And they're being listened to in meetings. And I heard a writer who's in a, an all-male writer's room. She's like, it's the first time I'm being listened to. So I think there is. I'm not in Hollywood anymore. So mm. I've, I've certainly, I'm both ostracized and self-ostracized, mm. you know. Mm. Uh, but... I hope it's becoming different. I don't think, you know, they now have intimacy um, advisors on sets, Mm -hmm. which basically means somebody to run the sex scenes, which would have been really nice when I was having to do that stuff. Mm -hmm. But altogether, most sex scenes aren't necessarily pertinent or germane. Like if you look at the big short, right, you have Margot Robbie sitting in a tub explaining boring economic stuff. She's like, got your attention, didn't I? You know, and she's sitting naked in the tub. I mean, she's got water around her, but it's just one of those, like, utilizing a woman to make a man's point. Mm-hmm. And that that gets so dull, I mm-hmm. think. I, and I think we're all really bored of it collectively. And I think it can lead to really boring sex as well in real time, you know, in real life. Because if what you see on screen is boring and not really geared around female pleasure, ultimately that's what you get. But not and even male pleasure because in the movies they the men get off and, like, 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. So I, and then the, the woman's supposed to be like, oh, that's amazing. And whereas if that happened in real life, I don't know that, you know, the rest of the movie would happen, mm. so to speak. That's true. It could take up an entire feature length movie. It could take an entire feature length movie. You can't really do that. But I don't think in real life, if I was having sex with someone and it lasted 15 to 20 seconds, I don't think the rest of our story would be going on necessarily. I think one of our problems, certainly one for me, is growing up watching a lot of cinema where exactly as you say, there's a 15 minute bit of, you know, quite standard sex and it leads to this very quick and easy simultaneous orgasm. (laughs) And I was just so relieved as I grew up reading about sex, finding out that actually for only 20% of women can orgasm from um, standard intercourse, you know, right. vaginally. And actually 80%, it's more to do with other areas such right. as the clitoris, etc. And I mean, I know it's difficult, obviously, to show in a film, but it would just be nice to see sometimes, don't you think? It, 
You know, that would be nice. and Or a discussion about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just something that brings some slight modicum of reality into it. Mm-hmm. You can also make reality sexy. Mm-hmm. You know? Wouldn't it be amazing if there was, like, a 90-minute sex scene that was actually really much more about the woman? Mm-hmm. And, and it could be an educational film. It could be. Or an erotic film. Those, I, I mean, what the hell with the Fifty Shades of Grey crap? What? What? I don't I don't know if Hollywood knows how to do eroticism. <laughs> Have you seen any good sex on screen ever? Have you got any scenes that, or, or moments in film that you have found sexy or that you think has done well? I think Nine and a Half Weeks was really sexy. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a movie called, I'm blanking out on the name of it, but what was this? They, it eventually wound up having all these sex scenes, which just got so dull because you saw them so many times. <laughs> but in the beginning of the movie, when she first meets, um, it's Jane March and Tony Leung, I think it's uh, set um, in China. And and they, their first time they're meeting, they're in the back of a car and their hands slightly go towards each other and almost just one hovers above the other and you feel this you could feel the energy crackling between them and I thought that was incredibly sexy. Yeah, it can't just be a moment, can't it? Something yeah. suggested. Yeah. Um, I see that you've done short films recently or more recently. Is that something that interests you still as an art form more than maybe long long form? I don't know if it's long form or short form. With I directed a film that you can see on YouTube. I put it up. It's called Dawn, D-A-W-N. If you Google that in my name, you can see it. And it's a full feature in 19 minutes. What I mean by that is like a full three-structure act. Mm-hmm. And it's set in 1961. I did the set design as well. And it's about really what happens to a girl when we send her out into the world with no protection and politeness as her only asset. And politeness kills. Mm. It's the idea of having to always please people, to never upset people. And right. it can it can be so damaging to a young girl. Oh. And an adult. It damaged me. Mm. And I was, and I have a very, you know, kind of strong constitution. But even with that, you don't want to be rude. Mm. But I would rather be rude to someone and have them be mad at me for being rude than to get raped or lose my life. Mm. We we talk about raising our children. I've got two boys and I feel very strongly about not making them kiss or cuddle anyone. So it's quite, I mean, it's still very normal in the UK, I can only talk about, to say to children, boys and girls, you know, kiss auntie so-and-so, kiss uncle so-and-so. And I just think, what lesson are we showing children, you know, that they have to show affection to an adult if they don't want to? So I tend yeah. to say, you know, high five so-and-so. I might say I'll give so-and-so a cuddle or high five them and give him a choice, you know. But even in something like That's that. That's smart. It's that, that also, it's deprogramming. Well, you're not programming in mm. that case. For yourself, you're deprogramming. Mm. For them, you're programming. I think that's brilliant, actually. I'm trying to, but, it, you know, it's interesting because something like that just seems so harmless. You know, it, it seems should so be, harmless. but it's not yeah. because it can lead into if they do meet someone that is a predator, that's part of how it starts, mm-hmm. you know, and that's part of grooming. Mm-hmm. And grooming is a really serious thing, mm. especially with the starting out with apparent bad behavior. You know how terrifying, you know, children are taught not to ever be in trouble 
Yeah. And yet they are sometimes, you know, everyone's naughty from time to time. And then yeah. to be able to use that over someone is, I think, very terrifying. Yeah, mind control is a terrible thing. Mm. Um, how angry are you still on a scale of naught to ten <laughs> about everything that happened? Your ex- I, I mean, specifically your experience in Hollywood, because actually right. from your book, there's lots of, you know, things you could be angry about and probably yeah. are. Yeah. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, I've, I feel like, in the last year and a half, I got a lot of that out. Mm. Um, it was a hard, brutal year and a half, and followed by a lot of, or preceded by a lot of, are you allowed to curse? Yes. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, okay. This podcast. <laughs> okay, okay. And, and uh, I have a right to that anger, you know? And when it comes, and women, especially women, I think are so afraid of being angry, I think they think they're going to be angry forever or something. It's it's like a thunderstorm in, in the sky in the summer, you know, mm. and it, it flashes and it passes. And sometimes I do shoot fireballs. Mm. And sometimes it's necessary to. Mm. The way I kind of, I feel like I almost bullied society into going forward was by utilizing a rightful amount of anger. Um, injustice angers me. Mm. The abuse of power angers me. But on a scale of 1 to 10 right now, like today, I'm currently at a 2. Okay. I'm pretty chill. <laughs> <laughs> What's helped you get to that stage? And I'm not, I'm not discrediting being angry because I agree with you that actually it's good to be confrontational sometimes and especially about things that matter. But, yeah. um, you know, how, how do you get the sort of calm, you know, back into your life? It's almost like the last year and a half and that whole media trip and all of that, it just, I, I burnt out and it was so traumatic that it, it, it's been, I've been in kind of a healing phase right now Mm -hmm. because I just couldn't keep living that way. It's, it's simply too much. My body was suffering. I had a, a, like this from the beginning of my neck under my skull to the middle of my back it was raised up about six inches Mm. and it was solid cramping knots um Mm. and I looked like a hunchback Mm. and so it had a lot of physical effect on me my hair started falling out Mm. uh it my skin looked rough like it was it had a lot of deleterious effect on me but fighting every day will do that to you Mm -hmm. now I'm in a really stable relationship with a wonderful human and that's helping a lot. I don't want to put, you know, certainly my mental health on somebody else, uh, but she has brought a lot of joy into my life and they've, um, a lot of calmness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They call me fire and, and, uh, and, and their name's rain. So I call them water. That sounds lovely. Yeah. You're probably bringing something to the relationship as yeah. well that's very calming. Definitely. Uh, I don't know about calming, but yeah, probably calming. <laughs> yeah, we were really, we've only had two tiffs, one on my side and one on Rain's side in the year we've been together. Yeah. Could we just talk about the Me Too movement, which um, you were one of many voices that yes. helped helped get momentum behind it uh-huh. and helped get people share their stories. I mean, everyone... My Facebook feed was, you know, full of it and Twitter. Do you find, has it, from your point of view, made progress? And and how do we act upon it? Because it seems as if some people are treating it like, oh, you know, 
a bit of a phase. Oh, thank God that that's over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, um, again, I was on book tour when the Me Too hashtag kicked off. Mm-hmm. And media calls it a movement. But movements usually have a figurehead and a leader and and a plan to go forward. Mm. And this is not the case here. This was simply a communication tool. Then the media started calling it a movement, making it sound like there are women with pitchforks on the street. That's not the case. Uh, I haven't seen any. No. No. And it also, it really pissed me off on Twitter when they put the Me Too icon as pink. Mm. I found that so offensive and deeply offensive because I know so many males who've been hurt. Mm. So many trans people have been hurt. So many, you know what I mean? Like, mm. what, what? Like, that bothered me. Mm. I have seen real progress, though. I think we will continue to see progress, not in terms of outing people or bringing men down or bringing power abusers down. Um, Hopefully that will happen if people are abusing power. That shouldn't be tolerated. But in terms of getting people to see each other as uh, people and, like, kind of dialing back the male gaze. Mm. And, you know, I have a group of male friends and they got together and they were talking with each other about times they'd gone too far, times they'd pushed it, times they'd, this is exactly what I, I just wanted people to have a new conversation. Mm -hmm. I was really bored of the same conversation that society seemed to be having Mm -hmm. around this topic, gender, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I was like, can't we get something new? This is really dull. And also there's a lot of shit that's going on behind the scenes that everybody knows about and everybody in their own way is complicit by not doing anything about it. And I thought, Mm -hmm. if not me, whom? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to say about your book or about anything that we've talked about? Sex, relationships, gender, cinema, patriarchy. I mean, we've covered quite a few things. Covered quite a few things. You know, I think it's really just about unwiring your mind and looking at why the information that you're being given is being given to you and who's benefiting. Because if it's not you, then it's somebody else. And you have a right to stand up for yourself and be counted and know your worth. One of the things I did when I raised myself was uh, if I was in any situation where I didn't know what to do, I would imagine what my better self would do in that situation, and I would imitate it until it came true. And that's kind of how I grew myself. I came up, my movement was never me too. It was about bravery. And it was about seeing if I could get the world to be 10% more brave. It's an arbitrary number I came up with, but I really think that it's doable. The last lines in my book are, I know you can, I know you have it in you, just by being brave. And that's really my message for the world. And being brave, it doesn't mean you're not scared. It just means you do the scary thing anyway. Mm -hmm. And that it's okay to go through it. And that every time you go through it, the next time you face a hardship, you'll be like, oh, my God, I did that. Look at me. Mm -hmm. Watch me go. Mm -hmm. Go you. 100%. Yeah. Rose, it's been lovely talking to you. It's been lovely talking to you. And we hope to see you again. You're always welcome in my bed, in my four-poster bed. Floating on pink clouds. And next time, hopefully, we meet, I will have found someone to, or I will have maybe done it myself, made this mattress with the boob holes in it. Yeah, mattress with boob holes. So I actually wanted to talk to Rose not just about Me Too, but also about sex on screen, because we talk about it a lot on the hotbed. And I think if you can see it, you can be it. And we need to see normal sex on screen more we need to see bad sex we need to see realistic sex we need to see more of the female orgasm happening realistically Mm. and not just with a few quick thrusts um have you seen any good sex on screen recently it was tricky with rose because she doesn't really watch tv anymore apart from jeopardy and game shows and and crime real crime 
So I couldn't have the in-depth chat about Fleabag and Russian Doll as I wanted to. Um, but what have you seen, Anarchy, recently that you've enjoyed? Um, it's funny because I made, Fleabag's just started again, hasn't it, with the next series? Mm. Um, and that probably is one where, you know, the, the sex does feel quite realistic. And I suppose, yeah, Russian Doll I liked because it was all kind of quite drunken, shambolic, messy sex. And clearly, like, the woman is kind of calling the shots on it mm-hmm. um, but I still think there's a lot of way there's a there's a there's a lot of work to be done because I still get really bored of just seeing this very sort of standard stuff which tends to be sort of guy on top um, and woman sort of moaning and groaning before she's even got her clothes off I've got I've got two friends who they're big fans of ITV drama and we got a whatsapp group and they keep sort of going oh there's this on it's usually got sort uh, is it Suran Jones in Suran Jones yeah it's usually got her in um, and it, it's always a bit like that. It's kind of, or even actually, what was the night por- the night porter mm. with Tom Hiddleston? Mm. There was a bit in there where I just thought that's ridiculous. You know the the position where they show the guy picks up the woman mm. and and they have sex against the wall. Mm. And the thing is, if you're kind of like a size sixteen, mm. um, that's not going to happen. These kind of these kind of silly positions where a man picks you up. Mm. And it, it's very balletic and it obviously looks good on film. Mm. But has anyone actually done that before? Russian Doll, it's not really about sex, but what I love about it is I like with and a it's lot Netflix, of... It's Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's a Netflix show. It stars Natasha Lyonne, who is in Orange is the New Black. Mm. And I think she was in American Pie. She's a really interesting actress. She plays a software... Well, a kind of... Um, she plays a software developer. Mm. She creates 3D characters. Computer games. And for computer games. And the story is kind of a bit like a computer game because she dies and comes back to life. And it's a bit like having lots of lives on a computer game and you have to play the same thing over and over again and work out how to get to the next level. That's what I thought of the structure. And I just loved her in it because she was, she obviously was, she had her own issues and her own demons to deal with, but she was funny. She was really independent. She owned her own sexuality. And when you say the women were calling the shots, I think it was more just like, it was very two-way, you know, mm. she was just equal and held her own whenever she had sex. And my favorite line was when she had sex with a guy who was a bit of a dick. And he said, you know, anal play is very underrated for heterosexual men. And I thought, brilliant, she's got out her dildo and she's indulged in maybe some pegging or some mm. kind of rimming or something. And it was just a little throwaway line. You didn't see it, you didn't have to, but it was kind of alluded to. And I mm. thought... Hotbed. And Fleabag, which is on the BBC, and it's written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and it stars her as well. Series two, on currently, as we speak. And we loved series one because she had a lot of sex. Some of it was problematic sex, but it was, it doesn't, we all sex on screen doesn't need to be amazing. It doesn't need to be brilliant sex. It just needs to be realistic and have some kind of depth to it or humour and not just be that kind of what you just said, the kind of three three thrusts and we'll have a simultaneous orgasm which, by the way, the numbers of having a simultaneous orgasm are quite low. I think it's maybe two-thirds of people say mm. they've had one, and actually men report higher numbers than women, which goes to show a little bit of faking going mm. on. Um, but Fleabag's got some complicated sex in it. It's also got a point where she masturbates to a video of mm. uh, Barack Obama, which I think was really fun. Second series, she's decided not to have sex. So that's as far as I've got with it but there's still a lot of sexual feelings happening there's an amazing because there's just a burgeoning relationship with a priest which is played by andrew scott mm. which i think we shared on our feed um this week and it's just 
he is he's really sexy oh, what was his character in um because he's in moriarty yeah that's it in sherlock yeah and he's kind of got this real devilish which is quite weird obviously because he plays a priest mm. but he's got this very sort of naughty um transgressive kind of face where you just kind of think oh actually he's he's got he's up to some kind of Ooh. um I was going to say nuisance, but he is. He's kind of got that naughty look about him. He's an Irish charmer with a little twinkle. Oh, and the Irish accent. I'm sorry. But very, that is yeah. so that is very... I know we shouldn't always objectify men, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind being objectified a little bit anyway. So please follow us on at The Hotbed Collective. Please follow Rose McGowan. We'll put a link to her Instagram. I mean, you probably are already following her. I don't know why someone with a million followers needs a shout out on The Hotbed Podcast. No, why doesn't she give us a bloody <laughs> shout out for fuck's sake? Well, she might. You never know. She <laughs> did our podcast she did sentimental garbage and did you do a selfie with her yep so hopefully she's going to share that selfie yep and she's going to tell everyone about the day she met an actual podcast star i think you and me need to be a bit more pushy if we're going to take this up to the next level you've, you've got you've got your foot in the door yep now we've got to get we've got to go right up this year has got to be right up there ratchet up these listens so listeners tell everyone about the hotbed podcast and we will see you next week. We actually won't see you because, well, we will. I mean, you don't see people in podcasts anyway. But um, next week's episode is a live episode that we recorded on Galentine's Day at White City House. It features um, me, Anarchy Somerville, also Dr. Karen Gurney at The Sex Doctor on Instagram, Bow Babe, Deborah James, who is just so inspiring and wonderful, Nadia Deem from Appointment AM, who talks all about getting busy with yourself. And Karen Hobbs from The Eve Appeal, being very funny about cervical cancer. Yes, it's possible. It is possible. She was hilarious, wasn't she? She uh, was very, very good. Very inspiring. A little disclaimer before next week's episode. Anarchy had literally only just had a baby. I mean, she practically was in her hospital gowns. I, I had bought, had... Actually, I bought my pants with me. I bought my um, my post, post-birth pants. Not the support. actual ones. Not the actual ones that I wore. I didn't bring my placenta. No. But and I had had a recent bereavement. And I can hear when I edited it back, I could hear in our voices that we were a little bit shaken and I'm not tired. our normal bouncy selves. So bear with us. That's next week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Bye. Thank you for listening and uh, I hope you enjoyed our episode. We can't get by on little crumbs though, so please do like, subscribe and write a review. Only write a review if it's a nice one though. Don't bother if you hate it and don't listen to us anymore, I guess. And yes, please do because it makes a huge difference and thanks a lot. Bye.